0: Hey, everyone. This is True Crime at Lunchtime, hosted by Lindsay and Kayla. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kayla. And we're work besties who love true crime. And this is a true crime
1: podcast for providing shorter episodes that you can enjoy on your lunch break.
0: Okay, Kayla. So, I was just pondering today about makeup routines and I was just wondering what your process of doing your makeup looks like.
1: All right. So, obviously I start off with with washing my face. I don't know if that counts in this in the routine, but I wash my face and then I add a primer. I do a really dewy primer because I have skin that is like the damn Sahara desert. Because if not, then it just cakes in and it looks really bad. And then I do tinted moisturizer usually. I go in with concealer, like a little bit under the eyes. And then I do like any zits I have. Beauty blender. All beauty blender at this point. And then I powder it. Setting spray it. Add some setting spray. And then I put on my mascara. I do my eyebrows. (laughs) And then I do my bronzer, blush, highlight, and my lips are always last. And then I setting spray it all at the end, too. (laughs) Your face is cracking me up.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, yeah, mine looks completely different. So I do eyeshadow first, and then I do foundation and concealer if needed, and then I do setting powder, contour, blush, setting spray, highlighter, eyebrows, mascara, and then lipstick last.
1: We have one thing in common.
0: Do you prime? No. I used to, but I it really didn't make a difference for me either way. And I also forgot that another difference is I use a brush to apply.
1: Oh, no, no, no. I I do love a cream contour and blush. I'm I'm that bitch. And I do use a brush to apply it and blend it a little bit. But then I always have to go over with the beauty sponge.
0: I used to use a beauty blender religiously for years, but I just feel like it takes too long. a brush always looks so streaky on me you got to use the morphe m439 oh god not the alphabet mafia brush (laughs) it's so good shout Um, out to jacqueline hill (laughs) i might have to try it it's good um i actually need to get a new one so thanks for the reminder
1: Clean your brushes. That's a reminder. Oh, yeah. They are bacteria breeding grounds. It's kind of gross. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay, guys, it's time to pop last night's dinner leftovers into the microwave. And let's dig in to the murder of Peggy Carr. Peggy was a wife, mother of five, waitress at a local restaurant and member of a small Florida community. When she was just 41 years old, she came down with a mystery illness that caused her agony for four months leading up to her death. The cause? Poisoning. But how? In this episode, you're going to find out what led to an otherwise healthy woman to slip into a coma as well as left one of her children near death. Peggy was born in August of 1964 in Alabama. She was married and moved to Florida, had three children, got divorced, and got remarried and got divorced again. Then, she met her husband, Pie. And that is his real name.
1: I do remember this.
0: Yeah. It's not spelled P-I-E, but... P-H-I. It's P-Y-E.
1: Cool.
0: Yeah. It's fancy. Oh, yeah.
1: I love that.
0: Every time I hear, you know, Pie, I think of pie My. Mm -hmm. If you're a Soprano fan, you're going to know that reference, but...
1: I think of pie. I think of supernatural because that's Dean's favorite food is pie.
0: Whose <laughs> favorite food is not pie. Honestly, we all relate to Dean. Yeah. Let's be real. So her and pie got married in 1988. They joined their families, modern day Brady bunch, five kids. And during the first couple months of their marriage, um, Things were going well, but then the family received a threatening note in the mail saying that they needed to move or they were going to die or leave Florida forever or die. And they didn't really take it seriously just because the way that it was written and his name was spelled P-I-E in the note. So they honestly were thinking it was a joke. And to be fair, they did have teenagers in the house. Mm -hmm. So I could probably see why they weren't terribly threatened at this point.
1: This is definitely a side conversation. But back in my old place I used to live at, there was a lady that left a note on my car. And me being the true crime podcaster that I am now, she put it in a bag. So, it was in a baggie on my windshield. So, I literally drove to my husband <laughs> and made him wear gloves to take it off my car because I thought I was being trafficked. Why
0: did she put it in a bag? That's so weird. Because it was
1: raining the night before when she
0: put it on my car. Oh,
1: smart. She was being crafty, but I... I was like, I'm not
0: touching this. I have been known to be a bit of a Karen on occasion, and I leave yes. notes on people's cars. <laughs> was it you? <laughs> it was, you this one was not me, because I would not have been that smart to put it in a baggie. That is, <laughs> that's pretty good. I like that. She would have left it to run down your car all the ink. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's been quite rainy here recently, mm-hmm. and I do have someone who keeps parking behind me, and I have left a note on their car, so I might have to try the bag next time. Put it in a bag.
1: Make Uh, them think they're being trafficked.
0: Uh, Anyways. So, it was around this time also that Pi began having an affair, and Peggy found out, and she was devastated, naturally. So, she moved out with her children, and they decided to work things out, however, and they moved back in. Mm. So on the day that they moved back in, it was October 21st of 1988. She felt very sick and she reported a burning sensation in her stomach. But unfortunately, her husband was away on a trip.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All I can think of is when you go to the school nurse for something like that, they're like, here's the Toms, here's the ice pack, you're good. Yeah,
0: I I mean, I have heartburn, so I have burning in my stomach quite often. But apparently she felt like her insides were on fire. Very different than your typical stomach ache or case of heartburn. So she could barely open her eyes. And she was really sick. So her daughter took her to the doctor. She stayed for a couple days. They really weren't sure what was wrong with her. They were thinking maybe some type of virus or something. So she comes home from the hospital days later. But it was that same day that her son, Dwayne, and Pi's son, Travis, her stepson, felt the same exact way. So then this is getting pretty crazy at this point.
1: Yeah, it's running through the whole family.
0: Yeah. And days later, she felt worse and then had to be taken to another hospital by ambulance. So her condition is escalating pretty quickly. A multitude of doctors came to her aid, including infectious disease. And she was experiencing hair loss. So... As a woman, we know hair loss can be pretty typical. Mm-hmm. However, she was like laying down in the hospital bed and when like lean up and there would be clumps of her hair on the pillow. So not your typical hair loss by any means. After some testing, they had come to the conclusion that she was being poisoned at some, in some manner. So they sent her urine sample away and they found that they were correct in this conclusion and that she was suffering from thallium poisoning. So thallium is a type of rodent poisoning. It was actually used in like the 1860s for communal diseases like syphilis and it was banned for that use in 1970s, some point. So this is a significant time later, thallium's been banned for human consumption. They found that her urine sample contained 20,000, the normal amount. So she had an extreme amount of thallium in her body. 50 times more than the human body can physically handle. So she was heavily poisoned. Oh, my God. And she was so sick. They really had no clue how to help her because at this point in time, there was no cure for what she was suffering. still not. So it was really devastating, the fact that they were just kind of like, okay, well, we did find out what's wrong with you. We but can't so help you. You're
1: poisoned. Um, so basically you're just going to die because we can't reverse it.
0: Yeah. It's really incredibly scary.
1: And it's so painful. It's an agonizing death.
0: So Travis and Dwayne were also tested and it was determined that they had high levels of thallium as well. So at this point... The medical professionals that are caring for the Carr family have decided to, you know, the, the, something's not right here. So they tell Sai, so, so, they tell Pi, Pi, Pi. Okay. Medical professionals tell Pi that, you know, they feel like maybe someone has tried to poison their family. And he's like, no, nobody dislikes us that much. All is well. Like, kind of plays it off. So the hospital is like, okay, that's kind of an odd reaction. Your whole family's being poisoned. Maybe you have something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Something's not right. So they call the police and the police starts to investigate. By the time the Police get involved in Polk County. Peggy has fallen into a coma. So, a homicide detective is assigned to the case to do some investigation. So, he starts looking into family history. He's looking into the fact that the car's marriage was shaky because you have to also think that they got married and this she's in a coma four months later. Like this is a lot has taken place in such a short amount of time. So as we know, it's more so not, you know, the spells. So Mm -hmm. that's obviously the first person they're looking at. That's always, no matter what, but further lab results indicate that Pi, along with Peggy's daughter, And her two-year-old daughter, so Peggy's granddaughter, also ingested thallium, just not at lethal amounts. So now they're like, okay, maybe he's not a suspect because why would he not only poison his own child, his wife, his stepchildren, his self, and a two-year-old child? It's not really making sense because the reaction doesn't match. They had patched things up. Peggy had forgiven him. There's just not really a motive here that Mm -hmm. the police were seeing. Yeah. But this leads us to ask who poisoned this family? Because as you remember, Pi says he doesn't think anyone would do this. But let's think back just a couple months prior, a threatening note was sent to the family saying that if they did not leave Florida in two weeks, they would be dead. Hmm. So was someone trying to make well on this threat? Investigators start looking at items in the car's home to try to pinpoint if Anything in the house has thallium on it so that they can kind of get an idea of what has happened here. So they tested all kinds of things like homemade pickles, ice cubes, actual rat poisoning that was in the home, uh, empty Coca-Cola bottles, you name it. They tested it. 400 items. That's a lot of items. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I've got 400 items in my house easily. There's 400 right here. I was going to say, there's probably 400 in this room. <laughs> but that's a lot. of I mean, that's a lot of work that mm-hmm. someone did. So they did find thallium residue at the bottom of four Coke bottles taken from an eight pack that was in the car's kitchen. Three unopened bottles were also there and Mincy, the lead investigator had those Coke bottles flown to an FBI lab in Virginia because now they're thinking, is this a situation of tampering? This is now a, a felony crime of some sort. Was it Quantico? Uh, likely I would say. We have criminal minds on the case. (laughs) So investigators determined at that FBI lab that the bottle caps had been tampered with. And thallium was found in the contents of those unopened bottles. It is wild to me
1: that they can tell whether or not a bottle has been tampered with or not.
0: Okay. This brings me to a really important discussion. If you open a bottle of water and like the tab comes with it, mm-hmm. are you like skeptical? Skeptical?
1: It wasn't, it was a glass bottle though. Well,
0: yes, these were glass bottles. I, I, I know that. Yeah, but, that I'd be skeptical of. Well, like if I open one, like that's at the end of the pack mm-hmm. and like the tab comes with it or um, it doesn't break the seal, I am, s- I won't drink it.
1: I'm weird, though, because if I find something like in my house, I assume it's safe. So even if it's like a bottle of water that's just in the fridge and it's. Oh, God, no. (laughs) So I'm like, oh,
0: my husband must have drank it. I'm just going to like take my pills with it. If I drink a bottle of water and I know that I've drank it, I will not pick it back up and drink it again if if I'm unsure, because one, I don't want to. It's mainly because I don't want to drink after anyone.
1: Oh, you're one of those people
0: oh yeah yeah my kids like try to i'm like no 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 Mm -mm. we're not doing that not even if they have a different straw no that's i mean i could see like a drink but we're not gonna share a drink
1: oh we do (laughs) we're cheap we go we go out to eat like we go to like um oh when we go to a jersey mike's we always do that we get a large drink and we
0: Share it. Ew. That is, no, that. that is not weird. Two straws, one check. Girl, I got you. <laughs> it's not weird. Okay. Anywho. So, investigators had told police that they feel like the person that they're looking for is an intelligent white male likely in his 30s, who resolves conflicts without direct confrontation, a.k.a. getting pissed off and poisoning somebody. (laughs) That is the most indirect way of killing someone. It is. It's so thought out, but it is so unpersonal because you don't even have to be there when it happens. No, and you don't even do
1: anything. Your hands aren't dirty. You just let the boys and do its thing. And I love how they can tell that just by the manner of a crime.
0: It's pretty cool. They deliver the profile. I love it. (laughs) And this was in the eighties. So look at how much testing and stuff has come along. But you know, we say that all the time, like, Things have come such a long way in terms of testing, but this is in 1988 mm-hmm. and this is pretty badass. It is. During this investigation, though, Peggy succumbs to her illness and she passes away. Very young, very heartbreaking. She's got children, she's got a grandchild. Uh, This is just devastating to be in your early 40s and to pass away Mm -hmm. after being in a coma and she had lost all of her hair and she lived a very miserable few months Mm -hmm. leading up to her death. The FBI investigator had also explained that poisoners typically fit the profile of being someone that is passive and Mm -hmm. takes pleasure of watching death from a distance which is really sickening which is basically just what we were talking about that you don't even have to get your hands dirty Mm -mm. you can do this crime and then not even you know be there and it's very hard to detect well it was hard to detect certainly because Something interesting that I found during my research is if you put thallium in Coca Cola just regularly, it would change the color. So the person who committed this heinous crime knew that and altered the formula to be able to put it in the Coca Cola without it changing its color. So this is, like, mad scientist vibes. (laughs) What? Some diabolical stuff happening here. So they knew that whoever did this was a very intelligent person.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't have known that. So now you know if your Coke is a different color,
0: do not drink it. So they start looking at people in the car's lives that, you know, have any possible reason for wanting to hurt them. They really couldn't think of anyone. They did interview some people, but one person that did kind of stick out was George Traple. So he was their next door neighbor, him and his wife. His wife was actually the first orthopedic female surgeon in the U.S. So just a little fun fact. That's kind of cool. And George was a chemist. A chemist. He was a chemist. Hmm. So they routinely interview George and they ask him, you know, if they if he knew of anyone that would want to hurt the Carr family or would want to poison his neighbors. And he said that he thought maybe that someone just wanted them out of the neighborhood. So again, we're going back to this note. Someone did want them out of the neighborhood, but who wanted them out of the neighborhood? So just to paint a picture of what this neighborhood, and I'm using air quotations, this is a very small rural type neighborhood, very isolated, and really these two were the only neighbors. Actually, they had to go pick up their mail in another town because the town that they lived in in Florida was so small that it didn't have an actual Mm. postal carriage. There, So we're starting to put some pieces together and I'm sure we're not the only ones (laughs) at this point. So investigation is heating up and they've got their eyes on George Traple at this point. He is a suspect, but they need to get some evidence. They can't just haul him in just because he's a smart guy who is, who is a neighbor. I wish you guys could see me because I'm, like, throwing hands everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, she is throwing gang signs, throwing all kinds of gestures. I am so so expressive. She's heated. I get so heated when we talk about these, that these hands are going everywhere. (laughs) Reading you for everyone. Now police have started to put together that hmm, we think that something's up with George, especially because how would he know about this anonymous note that was sent to the Carr family. Why would he know about it? these They're not friends. You're going to say, could they have told him about it? They could have. And who knows? Maybe Pi questioned George about it. And who's going out in the middle of nowhere? <laughs> right. They just couldn't be sure. So they had a undercover cop befriend George. And she would go to his house. Okay, let me back up. So, George had murder mystery parties. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, he would have a group of people and they would act out these, you know, murder plots. And and, so, it was Clue. And such. Yeah, basically. they're playing. <laughs> they were playing Clue. A real life game of Clue. And this undercover cop susan is what she went by um she befriended george and was like hey i'm really interested in your group i'm new to the area i'd love to come check it out so she formed a friendship with him and started to investigate because you know she was able to have access to his home Without it being suspicious.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. So this girl, 10 out of 10. She
1: went above and beyond.
0: Yes. But just a little bit about George. He was born in 1949. So he was in his late 30s at this time. His father was a police officer in New York City. He graduated from the University of South Carolina with a degree in psychology. And he was arrested. Okay. So he was arrested after setting up a drug lab where he produced his own formula of amphetamines and was selling them. So basically, he was pulling a Walter White here. He's a drug dealer? Yeah. He made his own drugs and sold them. I mean, not a bad business venture.
1: It's not good for your criminal record.
0: Well, he did serve three years in federal prison. And I read that the amount that he had made would have put him away for a lot longer if that would have happened today.
1: Oh, I bet.
0: George and his wife were also members of an organization called Mensa, which is an organization whose members have IQs that place them in the top two percent of the population. So these are the smartest of the smartest people. So he's a,
1: he's a fellow member along with us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for my Mensa certificate to come in the mail. Unfortunately, <laughs> it hasn't arrived yet. We'd be rejected so quick. <laughs> His wife was also a member.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say she was rejected. <laughs> no.
0: She was the first orthopedist. No, she was smart too. So Susan, she would go to the murder mystery parties. She became a friend of George and his wife. And she had a whole storyline. She was going through a divorce. And she noticed some odd things in his home. Uh, one of which was a copy of a book from Agatha Christie that talks about talks about thallium poisoning. And actually I read an article that um talked about how people have became aware of the symptoms of thallium poisoning because of this Agatha Christie book. So Agatha Christie fan club, Susan fan club, 10 out of 10 in this episode. She
1: wrote, um, murder on the Orient Express.
0: Yeah. She writes
1: and death on the Nile.
0: She writes a lot of,
1: so no wonder he liked her because it was very, her, especially those two are very murder mystery-esque. Yes.
0: Oh, that book was called The Pale Horse, by the way. Yes. Which makes this all make sense. Because this undercover operation was actually called Operation Pale Horse. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. So, Susan went by the name of Sherry Gwynn. And she, when she would go over to his house, she would observe things. And she was very careful, obviously, because he was a very smart man. But one thing that she said she did was she never questioned his intelligence. And she felt like maybe that was one of the reasons why he trusted her. And He did really trust her because through this investigation, it took, I mean, it was a long time that she was working this case. You feed into his ego. One day Sherry and George were on a picnic, which i Fine, kind of weird, but sure. Okay, they're friends. That's okay. We're allowed to have friends. And he had suggested that since she was going through a divorce and, you know, in order for her to get what she wanted in her divorce settlement, he suggested that she um, blackmail her husband. That was one of his suggestions. And another one was that she could poison him. Oh, (laughs) So those are my go to's. Yeah, absolutely. So this kind of obviously. Was a piece of evidence Mm -hmm. that, you know, was working in her favor in the case. But she still didn't feel like she had enough to obtain a search warrant because there just wasn't enough that, you know, they didn't want to mess this up Mm -hmm. if they were going to do it, they wanted to do it right. So this investigation stretched into the eighth month um, and she felt like it was just becoming a little too much for her. And the police was also like, hey, we need results. We got to get this guy. It's been eight months. They needed a break in the case. And that break came when... George told his friend, Sherry, that he was going to be moving to Sebring in Florida to a house there for his wife's medical practice. And he said that they were going to rent out their home, the one beside the Carr family. So she's like, great, this is perfect. Um, Since I'm going through this divorce... I'm really going to need to rent that house. Would you rent that to me? And he's like, you're my friend. Yeah. Heck yeah. Perfect. So, yes. So she uses this as a way to get into the home and to snoop around. But it's legal. Yeah. I mean, she was renting the place. She's a paying tenant. She did the damn thing. So they ended up finding dishpan it had several small bottles in it and they ended up taking a cotton swab or cotton ball along the bottle and they were able to send this off to the trusty lab in Virginia again but the team didn't find anything so they're like this is so disappointing we put in all this work for this guy And we're pretty sure it's him, but we just can't prove it. That sucks. Yeah. But you know, he's smarter than that. I know. I always think about it. It just must be so frustrating in these instances for law enforcement because they put so much time, effort and resources like the financial resources to be able to do this job must have been astronomical and they're in the eighth, ninth month, and they still don't have what they need to make an arrest. Well, some try. So the case kind of goes a little bit cold over the next couple months. It is the Christmas holiday, of course, and things have kind of died down and they don't have any evidence that, you know, really links him to the murder. And now, a quick ad from Barkbox. We have teamed up with Barkbox to offer true crime at lunchtime fans a discount. So when you subscribe to the six month or 12 month subscription box options, you get a free month, a $35 value. So if you go to www.barkbox.com slash T-C-A-L-T, you can get that discount if you use that code and go treat your dog. Sherry, Susan, Susan Sherry, she is just not over this. She put on all this time and we got to throw our hats off to a girl who is dedicated to her cause because she just felt like George was guilty and she wanted to be a part of this solution in putting him behind bars for the murder of Peggy Carr. So she decides she wants to meet with him again, and she's miked up, meets him at a McDonald's, surveillance vans outside, you know, the whole nine yards. And she feeds him a line basically that, you know, someone came to her, her house, like, asking questions, you know, the house mm. that's, that's really his um, that she's renting. But they they had some questions about – a poisoning and we're just kind of snooping around. So he becomes like super outraged, burst outwardly yells at her um, and tells her that someone was poisoned there. But you know, who knows? Who knows? But she was a little taken aback because he obviously was rude. And in all accounts, prior to this, he had been on friendly terms with her. Obviously, she knows that he's, you know, a shithead. But he doesn't know that she is an undercover mm-hmm. detective. <sighs> Shortly after that, Susan Sherry gets, and I'm calling her Susan Sherry because she's her alter ego, <laughs> Sherry. But really Susan. Susan. So Susan gets a call from that FBI lab and they ended up finding some trace amounts on those bottles that were in his garage. And this is what they were looking for. They now have the adequate evidence to obtain a search warrant fully and do the damn thing and arrest him. So on April 7th of 1990, they go to his house in Seabring that he shares with his wife and they walk up to the door his wife answers and she says she does not want to let him in but they had to, you know, forcefully remove her <laughs> because she wasn't interested in letting these people in her house But they had cause to be there. They arrested him for the murder of Peggy Carr on this day. It's perfect. Justice has been served here. But during their search, they found some weird shit. Oh, God. Yeah. No. So they found a police manual. With a chapter, because remember he was in jail, Uh and so he did have some time to do some studying, but he found a police manual with a chapter titled Death by Poison, (laughs) and another book titled Poison Detection in Human Organs. (laughs) They found like bondage stuff, legs, leg irons, (laughs) handcuffs, whips, they found like a... Secret sex dungeon.
1: I mean, whatever you're into. Yeah. If you're a consenting adult, it's fine.
0: Right. But, I mean, to have police find that. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they had a secret room. So, oh. it's just, oh. like, I don't think it was, like, this is this is the part that creeps me out. That makes me think, like, maybe his wife didn't know about the room. Or, I don't know. Because it had, like, a, a secret door. Okay, Paul. (laughs) Yes. Paul Bernardo vibes. Yeah, some, like, really weird stuff. But, hey, if she knew and she was into it, I mean, best wishes, honestly. But, obviously, it didn't work out. He's in jail now. Yeah. He got the real handcuffs now. That's right. January of 91, Susan took the stand, testified against him, Because she had months and months and months of evidence against him. Just conversations and things. And, you know, she's the one who found that bottle that contained thallium in his garage. I would have paid to see his face. Well, his wife was not very happy during this trial. I guess she marched in and like... (laughs) screamed at Susan, I hope you know what a bitch you are. (laughs) Have you seen who you're married to? (laughs) I mean... So, they had enough evidence that they were able to convince the jury that he was indeed responsible for the death of Peggy Carr and they found him guilty on first-degree murder and 15 other counts, including, you know, poisoning the other members of the Carr family, tampering with consumer products, um, poisoning food or water with the intention of killing, and it was two years, almost to the date, that after Peggy Carr died, he was sentenced to death. Oh, yes, he did get the death penalty.
1: He had lethal injection.
0: He is still currently on death oh. row in Florida at Union Correctional Institute. So you're probably wondering what caused this. 39 year old man this brilliantly intelligent man to commit such a disgusting crime i mean this is a truly evil crime that was obviously thought out he was at quite the war with his neighbors (laughs) he did not like the way that they played love music he ended up um actually unplugging the water hose one time when one of pi's sons was washing his car because he was listening to his music too loud even though his son had turned the music down and he Also sent in some complaints to the zoning board because at one point the car family was going to put an apartment addition onto their home and he was not okay with this. And there was just a lot of like bickering over, you know, parking, like really petty minuscule things. And now I'm like, fuck, I'm got to stop writing those notes on my neighbor's cars.
1: You never know if they have small dick energy and they're going to come at you.
0: No, it's scary. Um, I mean, obviously we know that the world is full of incredibly Mm -hmm. twisted people, but you just got to be careful. Really a life lesson here.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So that is the disturbing murder of Peggy Carr. What do you think?
1: Well, I knew this case. <laughs> I recommended you do this case. Yeah, I
0: know. It was some forensic files. It was an interesting one. I hadn't heard about it. And all the time I was doing my research, I just kept thinking about that scary doctor from Nurse H- Hatchet. No. Ratchet. <laughs> that scary doctor from Nurse Ratchet who cut that boy's limbs off in like an experiment of some sort. But, um, and then also I was thinking of Walter White from breaking bad. So <laughs>
1: I just, it <sighs> not as cool as Walter White though.
0: Motive's not as good either. I mean, it just sounds like such a cowardly reason to hurt someone. Like, there's ever a reason to hurt someone, but this ain't it. It's so dumb. Like, just it's so silly.
1: Over loud music. Are you kidding me? You could wipe out half the damn block if you did that now. I know. If you were annoyed by stuff like that. Yeah. Well, at least he's in jail. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the death penalty. I don't know why that surprises me, but... Because a lot of times poisoners don't get the death penalty.
0: Yeah. Well, Florida is a death penalty state. So certain convictions. And he tried to annihilate a whole family. Yeah. (laughs) So he got two attempted murder charges too. Well, he had 15 additional charges aside from the first degree murder charge. Oh my God. Because he tried to poison multiple people.
1: He thought he was slick.
0: You can't even be in Mensa and get away from it. It's absolutely scary. But thankfully, he was caught and justice was served for the Carr family. It obviously doesn't reverse the tragic events that happened to them. But justice was served for Peggy. When he gets lethal in de- injection, <laughs> it's kind of a coincidence. That's right. Absolutely. You kind of got to taste your own medicine there, won't yeah. you? <laughs> Absolutely. Actually, I read on Reddit, um, one of one of the users had commented, this is a true eye for an eye situation uh-huh. because the situations are so similar. Uh-huh. The crime versus the punishment. Although his will be quick. Yeah. Well, and that's if he actually gets... If he doesn't
1: die before he actually gets executed.
0: I do believe he would be in his 70s, probably. Yeah. And...
1: He was in his 40s when he was convicted.
0: Yeah. So. And that
1: was in, what, 80s, 90s?
0: Yeah. It was in 91 that he was convicted, so... Yeah, he'd be in his 70s. Yeah, so it is likely that Justice... Well, it is likely that he might not see the death penalty. But it is probably... One could say... Or you could probably say that he will definitely die behind bars either way so
1: i hope your cellmate just clicks their pen and like taps their foot
0: i hope they don't have headphones there i hope <laughs> i hope that your toilet gets clogged every single day and you just have to sit in your poop filled room oh i hope i hope. it's just the most annoying that like the little
1: things that piss you off i hope they happen to him
0: every single yeah. day i hope there was a really loud fly
1: that just
0: will not get out of his the cricket outside yeah all the things oh yes i hope your eyes are dry i hope you get an eyelash in your eye and you can't get it out yeah i hope you have a wedgie that you just (laughs) want to pick but don't want to do it in public all the things We do not wish you well, sir.
1: Oh, shit.
0: So, as always, we would love for you to leave us a review anywhere that you listen to your podcast. You can follow us, like, share our posts, comment, interact in any way on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and... We really appreciate your support. We are going to be coming out with some stickers that you'll be able to buy at some point. We now have four stunning designs, one of which we will be debuting anytime, probably by the time you hear this. And it is Jan Brady, and it is so sick. I cannot wait for people to be wearing our merch with our Shore Jan logo
1: yes jam brady for life yes she's a bestie for life
0: yes work bestie for life
1: and as always stay saucy work besties